let's crack open a beer and share some thoughts. Welcome to Opinions, and we're back in your ears once again, but we're not alone, are we, Martin? No, Steve. We've got the old lady. Hello, Danny. Hello. Welcome to the show. It's fantastic to have you on with us. I think the only time that you've um, actually been on the show in, in the past is when you did those two amazing interviews for, for us from the, um, the grounds of the, the, the monastery in Leicestershire. That's right. Just up the road. from. Well, it used to be just up the road from me. I've moved now. But yes, the gorgeous monks who produce Tint Meadow. And we can't promise the tranquil sounds of birds and sheep in the background tonight, but what we can promise is some really tasty beer that we're going to be drinking with you. Um, and we're going to get the first one into the glass now. Martin, what is it we're drinking tonight? I'm even more excited about this beer since I've recently learned I haven't had it before. Formbridge Bear State. West Coast IPA, 7%. Can't wait. I am very much looking forward to this. I, I just checked before the show and I last had this in 2015. So it's been um, six has years. Has it not been released since 2015? I don't think it has. Because it's... it seems to me that you and I wouldn't have missed out on it for the last six years, surely. No, no. no. Um, it, it, may have, it may have come out maybe purely as like a draft release, um, but I'm pretty sure this is the first time it's been small pack since then okay um shall we get into it yeah and we can do talking about it after okay cheers cheers, cheers. i might just inhale it for a little while actually all the resin it's good a bit of a little bit of oiliness there maybe a little there's quite oh. an orange note to it i think um the aroma is lovely and floral really really mm. nice that oh and it's and a, a bit bitterness beautiful color yeah, nice head retention. Oh, right. Anyway, you two talk amongst yourselves for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that is an absolutely beautiful colour, actually. It's like, um, it's really amber, um, like a golden. It's like it's... the top of um, the walking stick in um, Jurassic Park. <laughs> I don't know why I'm just thinking of that. But it's really great lovely. descriptor. <laughs> it tastes delicious. I'm just glad there's not a you know a bit of dead dinosaur in it, but it's really lovely. Oh no, it's a mosquito, wasn't it? Yes. I digress. It's delicious. It, it does look fantastic. What, Steve? Given that you have only just tasted it, has it taken you back to 2015? Uh, well, sh shall I just read you my description from yes. 2015? Oh. Um, Absolutely nails the style, big piney aromas with a sticky feel and a long grapefruit dry finish. That sounds like this bit, this beer, I was going to say this beer, this beer <laughs> is um, quite close to your description from 2015. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I'm, 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 I was quite surprised actually when I, when, I, when I read that review and then I tasted it and I was like, yeah, it's, uh, it's the same as, as, as far as I can remember six years ago when i when i last drank it it's lovely it's it's very um it's it's frighteningly drinkable at seven percent um so i'll do my best to sip it 
<laughs> well, um, you'll, you'll you'll know, Danny, that we we do have a problem with beer evaporating on on, <laughs> on this podcast while while we're talking. Um, talking so, is thirsty work. It, it is very thirsty work. Uh, and for the fear of this absolutely disappearing out of the glass, let's uh, let's let's move on and uh, have a chat with you, really, um, about what brings you to where you are today in your beer journey. So, so, so take us back over time and 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 talk us through how you first started on this journey and, and how you how you progressed through. When I was 20 years old, um, well, I started working in a pub when I was 18, the day after I was 18. I used to drink in there prior to that. And the day I turned 18, I asked that I nodded if I could have a job. Um, it, was, uh, it was a free house. It was a real spit and sawdust, proper pub, back street of Leamington. If you were a regular it was great if you just walked in you would have hated it it was that kind of pub um but I was a regular and I loved it and I loved working there I got bitten by the bug completely but not long after I started working there it got taken over and bought by Everard's um you know Everard's Leicester-based brewery and it became a managed house and after that it all went a bit wrong and they tried to send managers in who didn't understand how the pub worked it was genuinely that kind of pub um they sent people in who tried to change it um too dramatically too quickly um it sent people in who had heard that it was a bit rough so they sent big people in that they thought because they, they thought it needed sorting out and the regulars needed sorting out and that didn't work and eventually the area manager came to me and said um do you think you could take it on and I was 20 and that's Blooming young to take over a pub. But of course I said, yes, I, I loved the place. Absolutely loved it. And it had a flat above it. I was 20 years old and I was going to get a free flat with my job. Um, so I took it over. I looked at, I'd been thankfully trained um, by a previous manager, how to look after the beer, how to look after the cellar. Um, and it was looking after the cellar that really started my love affair with beer because it's, I never realised what goes into that um i'm not sure what it's like now because i haven't done that for so long i think there's a bit more technology involved now not too much um but with regards to tapping the beers i'm talking about cask obviously with regards to tapping the beers and um pegging the beers and racking them um and i was doing it all by myself i was very very proud and i was warwickshire's youngest single landlady but i don't think that was a really huge claim to fame but i dined out on it and dined out on it at the time um and yeah just a brilliant laugh doing it to be honest I knew all the regulars and they looked after me and to be honest I don't think the brewery would have given me the job if it hadn't have been the kind of pub it was because they knew there were a bunch of good lads and lasses in there who always had my back um there were some dodgy times very very dodgy times um but essentially, I loved it. I loved the trade. I loved looking after the beer. The satisfaction when you've produced a pint as the brewer wanted it to be produced, when you've looked after it and it comes out in that perfectly clean glass with that lovely lacing and a nice tight sparkler because I'm in the Midlands. Um, it is just, it, it, yeah, I, I loved it. And I loved that side of it. I loved the serving part of it I love looking after it now with regards to brewing I only know from what I've learned from brewery trips and um, being with 
like listening to podcasts and things like that. I never, I have a huge interest in it, but it's almost like peeping behind the magician's curtain. I, uh, my real thing is the serving of it and pubs and the way that the customers are treated and the way that the end product is appreciated. Uh, the creation of it, I'm really happy to leave to the magicians because I, I love it and I, I don't want to kind of spoil the mystique of it. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, to me and Steve, it does, given that we often say there's a bit of magic involved. Mm-hmm. It's a bit like, um, for me, I don't always want to watch the behind the scenes of my favourite shows or movies. So I don't want to be taken out of it. I don't want that little bit of magic to be taken out of it in my, in my full process. <clears throat> so how long did you do the actual landlady bit for then, Danny? You said just under two years. It wasn't long at all. Um, but it seemed like a long time and a lot happened in that period of time. Um, basically, the, the pub, it was a sister pub to one on the main street in Leamington on the main shopping parade, which was a big place. And it had been there since 1811. And back then it was a coach house. And these the nobility and the gentry used to stay in what was called the Haunch of Venison, which was the big pub on the parade. And then all the servants got to stay in the back pub on the back street, which was linked via uh, an alleyway, which was my pub, which was the Bedford Inn. Um, and it had always been the poor relation, but they always came together as a lot. So if anybody was looking to buy it or take it over, if you wanted the haunch of venison, the Bedford came with it. Nobody wanted the Bedford and they kind of left us to, to our own devices. Um, so an awful lot happened. It was a it was a brilliant time and it was a turbulent time because there were it was a rough pub. Um, and I think I learned so much about human beings really (laughs) human beings whilst drunk um and what I was capable of because I went into it very very confident um thinking that I could deal with it all and I dealt with a lot but then there were some things where I just thought do you know what I'm too young for this um not too young in the naive weak sense but too young in the fact that I've got a life to live and this is it's all consuming it's a 24-7 job um I was doing most of the shifts behind the bar because it was small and we couldn't afford the staff. And like I said, I enjoyed it, but I just remember one time thinking, this is my life. And although I'm enjoying it, I think I'm too young for this to be my entire life and nothing else. Um, So I decided to leave and I just, I had nothing else to go to. I had no relevant qualifications. Um, I hadn't taken my A-levels. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I had sort of a pipe dream fantasy, but didn't think that that was possible. Um, And so I just handed in my notice with nothing else to do and then thought, I'll find another job and scrabbled around trying to find another one and became a security guard. (laughs) Obviously, at at a Crown Court, which was great. And I've had about, well, I've had enough jobs to fill seven lifetimes since then. Um, But yeah, so it was just under two years. Um, It was... You know, we had many, many lock-ins. I had Christmas Day at the pub, um, which is one of my favourite things ever. When you open a pub at Christmas Day, it's just one of the most joyful days you can possibly have. Um, we had live music there a lot, which was just wonderful. Um, it was a bit of a, we're pretty much a hard rock pub. Um, and in fact, one of our most popular bands played one night and I was downstairs changing a barrel and the ceiling caved in. <laughs> 
So and not not to the extent that it caved in and damaged me, but that one of the joists broke. So I had to run upstairs, try and get this entire rugby team to stop jumping on the floor and moshing to this rock band um, and get them out. We had to shut the pub for the weekend. And um, and that was actually quite a nice time for me because it meant I got some time off to drink myself. Funnily enough, I didn't I didn't drink that much when I was running the pub. Um, I didn't drink that much at all. I used to smoke like a chimney, but um, I didn't drink very much at all. And another reason why I left was because up the road um, from where my pub was, a new pub was being developed in an old um, an old bank. And for a while it was great because all the builders had come down and drinking my pub. We got all their trade. Um, also, my pub was next to a nightclub. So we used to get the passing trade on a Friday and Saturday night from there. But as soon as this other pub opened, my pub died. And I got the blame from I got the blame for it. Well, not the blame necessarily, but it, it was on me to try and make the pub a success. But the pub that had opened up the road was the Weatherspoons. Um, and with their prices um, and their size and their food and what they could do, just couldn't compete. So I just thought, I this is, like I said, that was conceiving me and I left. So, so you actually saw the impact of the, 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 the other pub, I shall not mention it by name. Yes. Um, <laughs> the pub that shall not be named. It, it essentially yes. just sucking all of your trade away yeah and that's exactly what it did it disappeared it was practically overnight um within a week when people realized their prices and like i said we were next to a nightclub so friday and saturday nights after we'd had had the live music about 10 o'clock at night we'd get this influx of people who were waiting for rio's the nightclub to open and we did really really well and suddenly all that went and we were pretty quiet during the week um you know we had familiar faces you knew exactly when they were coming in and exactly what nuts they were going to buy and exactly what how many pints they were going to drink um but it was friday saturday and sometimes sunday nights um where it went absolutely nuts and they killed it absolutely killed it so well firstly how long did the bedford arms survive after that the bedford inn that's all right don't worry and um, not long at all actually they tried to change it um and i heard all sorts of horror stories about it they changed the name which i first found was very very sad because it had been that since like i said the early 19th century um uh it's probably about eight months i think before i saw that the windows were boarded up but now it, it's part of a pub again um because the the sister pub the one it was joined to um as i mentioned was um, has now had several incarnations, but now that's live and kicking, and they've actually knocked through properly to what was the Bedford. And what used to be my flat is now a roof garden with a bar on it. So people are probably right now sitting having a pint in my bedroom. Little did they know. So almost like Highbury, where people can sit having a kick around in the little gardens in the flats where the, the dugout used to be. That'd be my closest. I'll take your word for it, Martin. Okay. No <laughs> oh, I'm going to go with that. The people will know what I'm on about. That's fine. The people um, will. People will. Oh, I mean, it's amazing, really. I mean, that direct impact of the pub that shall not be named, mm. even with people who were considered themselves diehard regulars. Yeah, well, the diehard regulars still did come in, to be fair to them, um, but there weren't that many of them. 
Um, we had well, we had diehard regulars on a Friday and Saturday night. The ones who came in every day still came in every day, um, but they weren't enough to sustain the business. So, and look, the lure of cheap beer, and also it's quite a big student town. Um, so the students that were going to the nightclub, because it, a lot of people who go to Warwick University um, live and drink in Leamington. Um, sorry, it's in Leamington Spa. Did we say that? No. Um, it's in Leamington Spa. Um, so there were, we missed out on a lot of the students who were trying to eke out their student grant. That is a really direct impact though, isn't it? <laughs> it was huge. It was absolutely massive. And I remember going there to scope them out and I thought, and it wasn't just, I'm sure it wasn't just sour grapes on the evening bitter, but I could, apart from the prices, I couldn't see the appeal at all. I thought it was soulless. I thought it was just, this, it was this massive expanse of non-friendliness. They just, people weren't socialising. People went in in their little groups and sitting in their little booths and they just didn't seem, the element of the pub that I love is when you just pop in and you stand at the bar and you might get chatting to a, a random person. I mean, case okay, sometimes that can be awkward, but sometimes you can meet the most fascinating people. And it's when you're in, you, you're sitting at the bar in that sort of slightly enclosed space that we haven't been able to do for so long that you get to meet people that you would never meet in what you do whether it be at work or mixing with the, the friends who you have always been with it's it, it I think I said this on Twitter the other day drinking beer or basically any drinks it's it's a great leveler because people will go to the pub to just have a drink and not talk about what they do for a living not what they not what their um not what their family home life is like they just want to go and enjoy a beer and if you just happen to start talking to somebody you can find out the most fascinating things um, and enjoy a beer together it's and Weatherspoons didn't do that for me it just seemed it was too big it was there was no atmosphere I remember the whole big thing about them was that they didn't play music there was no music there was no jukeboxes there were no machines or anything like that it was just a big warehouse a big carpeted warehouse that sold cheap beer that's what I thought anyway. <laughs> I, I, I'd imagine there's probably a few few listeners <laughs> will certainly agree with you on that, Danny. Um, but your interest in beer and your mm. love of beer presumably stuck with you. It really did, um, particularly cask, because I've told you it is the, I really appreciate what goes on behind the scenes with regards to keeping it and pouring a nice pint of cask is concerned. Um, but I did waver. Um, I went over to the wine side for a while when I was um, in my late 20s um, but it was always there and then when cask uh, when sorry when craft reared its head um, I found it absolutely fascinating I must admit I was a bit of a um, I was a bit resistant to it to start with because I was a tr traditional girl I, you know I like a good pint a good handful pint um, but it was the wonderful Trafalgar wines in Brighton, which sadly is no longer there. But a lot of the listeners will know, I'm sure, because it was a fantastic place to buy craft beer from right in the early days. He was really on the front foot. Um, he introduced me to, lot, to a lot of the breweries and set, used to send me home with a tasting pack of all these things to try. And it was it was a whole new world, to be honest. It was I mean, I will never not love a decent pint of traditional cask. I mean, give me a full as ESB any day and I'm a very, very happy girl. But um, 
yeah, the craft beer world is a whole other thing, and I love it all. There's a, a, a lot to be said in terms of. I suppose you can draw some parallels there in in, in, in terms of your experience of, of of running a pub and having that community with your regulars in 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 and in terms of what beer offers us now is is a very similar environment in terms of the communities that we've built. Predominantly, I, th I think all of us will say that we've made friends through Twitter or on, on online, you, you know, that's how the three of us come to be here th this evening. Um, but th th there's that, that community feel that now comes along with, with, with beer is, is almost unrivaled, isn't it? Oh, completely. It's like I said, I think it's, it's a leveler because, you know, when you're at a beer festival, you don't know. Oh, I'm trying to think of a, an equivalent. Okay. If you go on a really expensive holiday, <laughs> like that's gonna happen um but if you went on a, a really really expensive holiday if you went to um uh oh i can't think of, think of an example but somewhere really swanky in the caribbean with those houses on stilts um and you know people are walking around with their gucci luggage you pretty much know the kind of people you're going to be standing next to you know if you're people in the neighboring cabin you know that what kind of um where, how much they earn you know what kind of lifestyles they lead it's there but in a pub or at a beer festival it's it's level because people are there just because they enjoy beer it's um you know it's not too expensive um you know you can it sometimes some of them are a bit inaccessible to some people but hopefully you can save enough to go for one day to a beer festival um or to a pub where you've got just different choices of beers you know you don't have to spend a lot you can just have one pint and enjoy yourself but it's you don't there are no preconceptions with people who are drinking beer as, as far as i know anyway if i see somebody enjoying a pint i think yeah i hope you're really enjoying that pint mate not um and i'm not curious about what they do for a living um where their kids go to school not that I'm really curious about that with anybody anyway but do you know what I mean it's it's just here we are drinking beer together having a laugh let's get to know each other and that's what I've loved about getting to know everybody via Twitter um because it kind of sheds anything else uh, and you get, get to know that. people from the beer up yeah I get that I mean anything which is a leveler is a good thing anyway and anything mm. which gets you away from maybe some of those more material questions and answers that some people seem a bit more obsessed with in this day and age yeah i would say i would say sport is another thing um yeah you know, my chosen one is football so if you are i mean when steve <clears throat> met up with me a few weeks ago when i was off at half term i was sitting at the back three tables three guys and i had just overheard them talking about a couple of west ham players playing for england joined in their conversation for the next 45 minutes knew nothing about either of the people but we were all having a beer and we were all talking about the football. Mm. That was it. That was that was the conversation. Um, so I can definitely I can definitely understand where you're coming from on the level. I think anything which is a level is a good thing, whatever yeah, the chosen definitely. subject matter is. And beer is a good one, you know. I mean, don't get me wrong, it can be incredibly divisive as well, particularly in the craft world, mm, you yes. know, Sabro. Um, but it's it's you know, it at least it gets us talking about something that we're all interested in. 
And um, that was that. That was Danny tonight. She's uh, she's had to leave. <laughs> she she, she <laughs> clear, clearly didn't read all of the show notes that, that said these are the Sorry, words did that I, you can't did I just say. swear? <laughs> well, it's it's twice now. It's 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 that name of the hop and that name of the pub as well. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna have to redeem yourself here. <laughs> I'll try my best. I've got to tell you something. Sorry, I, the one thing I wanted to tell you about the pub when I first took over because I was thinking about it because I knew we were going to be talking about it. And it makes me sound ancient. And I just, I mentioned it to my niece earlier, who's 18. When I first worked in the Bedford Inn and uh, when I first took it over, it had gas lights. In the seriously? evening, I used, seriously, I had to go around and light all the, is it lintels? Yeah. I think that's what it's called. I, I had to go yeah. around, is it lintel or, yeah, something yeah. like that. Anyway, yeah, I had to go around and pull the levers, the one the, above the pool table as well. You had to pull the lever, wait for the gas to come out and light it. Can you imagine that now? My word. And that was, only, well, I say only 20 years ago, but that's a whole life ago, isn't it? I still wouldn't have, imagined, I wouldn't have imagined there was gas lighting still, though. I know, it was absolutely mental, which is why, it's another reason why it was so upsetting that it kind of died, because it did have this really rich history. Huge. It was, it was a wonderful place. And, and you say it's opened up again now. It's, it's, yes. And it's, it's survived the whole pandemic and it's 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 reopened and it's still there well i don't know about the pandemic because i've now moved so i haven't been there for a long time so i haven't heard but it's it's not a pub in its own right anymore it's now the back end of the sister pub i was saying about uh, okay so there used to be a kitchen in between them and we shared a kitchen so the kitchen produced food for both pubs but now they've got rid of that and it's just a walk through all the way with two bars Almost, almost sounds like White Locks and Turk, Turk's Head. Yeah, yeah. That's sort of yeah. what I'm picturing. Is the bit was closest I can come up with, anyway. In that, in those sort of terms. So you have been back to it when you were living local to it. Well, do you know what? I went back on the 20th anniversary of me taking it over because I'll never forget the date because it was my it was my friend's 21st birthday, and I was supposed to be going out and getting leathered. And the area managers just walked into the pub at about eight o'clock at night and said, we're really in the doodah. Can you take it over? Do you think you can move in tomorrow? And I went, oh, yes. OK, yep, that's absolutely fine. So I put my drink down, still carried on to celebrate my friend's 21st birthday, but also went home and packed a bag. I'm just I'm just trying to think what what I was doing at 20 and whether I would have been responsible enough to have taken over the running of a business. And I, I think I can come to a very quick conclusion that no, I, I wouldn't <laughs> have been anywhere near responsible enough to have just gone. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll run it for you. Well, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And I didn't, do you know what? I didn't actually drink that much then. Um, as I said, I didn't drink that much while I was working there, but a full stop. I didn't. I, um, I just loved the atmosphere of a pub. And I loved making the customers feel happy and I loved being part of it all. I, I mean, I suppose I loved being at the helm of it all and being, I was really proud of it. I was really, really proud of it. You know, when people were in, enjoying the World Cup, um, was it 98, Martin, would it have been? Yeah. When people, yeah, when people were enjoying the World Cup in 98, you know, I was there facilitating it in obviously not the world cup but facilitating this pub full of people 
enjoying that and all the live music we had, like I said. And it was just, it was a real buzz. It was a real, real buzz. Um, so I didn't see it as this, I didn't see it as running a business. I found the books quite easy. It was just maths. Um, That's where I would have gone wrong. But, but you're the king of the spreadsheets. Yeah, I'm shit with numbers, though. Yeah, it doesn't have numbers. No, 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 uh, no. No, no it's, it's all my spreadsheets are words. That's fair enough. <laughs> yeah, we had, we had numbers on one of our sheets tonight pre-show, and one of them's gone out of sync already. <laughs> so no, but no, but, you know, joking aside, um, I'm probably with Steve, to be honest. I mean, I had left home before I was 20, and I was working, and... I remember my godfather running a pub and my mum and dad running an off licence. And I saw how I saw that how it always felt like it was hard work to me because I was only ever I often saw the like my mum and dad being tired, weren't running the off licence, or my godfather never having time to come and spend with us when we went to visit him. Which was a good thing at times because it did mean we had a bit of a run of the the premises, which mm-hmm. he may or may not have known about, but by the by. Um, but it did always look like I, I always had a sense from a young age that it was hard work. And I don't think you said anything different. No, it you was it was it. it was really like I said, it was 24-7. It was relentless. And you know, the sleep deprivation was a big thing. But I guess, you know, my youth helped at that point. I now it just I I am in absolute awe of people that do it now. Um, particularly independence free houses, the amount of I mean pandemic aside the amount of hours that you have to put in and just to break even, it's so hard to make money. Um, but this is, I mean, going back to what we were saying about, well, what you were saying online about um, uh, it being a, a respected career, I should say, I've been thinking about that um, recently. It's, I, I don't know whether I would choose to do it now. I, w- I think now I would love to own a pub and have enough money to pay people to run it for me that I trusted and pay them well um, so that they had the experience and all that kind of thing. I, I still love, I would love to go back into the trade, but I wouldn't love to do those hours again. I don't think oh, I, I could. I, can understand I don't think that. I could cope with it. I can understand. It's long hours. And I think you summed it up when you said, this is my life. Yeah. And I think if you are landlord, landlady, and especially if you're living with the premises. So remember, we spoke to Andy and Sheena about this at the Vic, and they took a con- they took a conscious decision not to live. Even though they could have, they took a conscious decision not to live above the premises. And but I mean, not, I, I, not everyone has that option, probably. Um, and as you said at the time, it sounded like a bit of a bargain. I get a free flat with the workplace. Commuting's fairly easy. Um, but that's it. Effectively, your friends become your regulars, your customers. You, you are there all the time, even if you're not working, which sounds like that wasn't very often anyway. But you would always, if someone else was doing a shift and something was going wrong, I assume you'd always say to them, I'm just upstairs. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, I'll always remember my day off was Tuesday. I used to take Dre Day as day off, which seems ridiculous. But when, you know, the delivery used to come at about 7.30 in the morning. So I'd get up on Dre Day, sort that out, and then I'd know that I'd have the rest of the day off. 
But even then, even though the staff knew it was my day off, you know, every hour it'd be like, Danny, this customer's saying I'm charging him too much for a shandy. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was it was relentless. But, yeah, I, like I, I, said, I with, think with, I would have been a no. <laughs> well, I mean, but the thing is, at that age, I could cope with it physically and mentally there were very few times that I kind of lost it and thought oh my god I can't do this in fact I don't know if I can remember any times that I did that and like I said I had um I had wonderful regulars and on Sunday afternoons I remember I had a football team as well I had a pool team dark team and a football team um so that was for washing their kit but the football team used to come back it was when Sunday opening hours was a thing. So you'd shut at two, open again at seven. But they used to come back in the afternoon and have a few beers after their match. But I'd say to them, look, if you want to do that, you help yourselves. Just put some money in the pot. I need an afternoon kit. And they did. And they were completely honest about it. They never ripped me off. The stock take was always bang on. So it was that kind of really, really lovely place where I felt I knew that if I did reach burnout, there was somebody to help. And I don't think many places get that now. I don't think there are many pubs like that because they're too corporate, I suppose. It's very rare that you find, I say very rare, it's incredibly lucky and joyful to find a pub that has that kind of heart and that kind of sense of community now, which is something that I constantly seek out rather than somewhere that's just trying to serve the best food, make the most money, I'm not interested in that. Do you know what? I'd rather walk into somewhere that didn't have decent beers, what I consider decent beers um, on tap, but have that kind of lovely sense, that lovely atmosphere of community and nurturing and safety and family, for what of a better word. I think I, I totally agree with what you said there in terms of there are very few places like that now and I, th I think your use of the word corporate is, is is fantastic as well because they are they're either the 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 the, the, the big monster that shall not be named or they're a, a, a tide chain or they're a pub that are also looking to specialize in a food offering and and that that real kind of just community feel of, of 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 walking into a pub and knowing the bar staff by name and them knowing you by name and almost to the point on some occasions where they also know what your first drink is going to be and they start pouring it the minute you walk in absolutely and that's that's what we were like to be honest it was like as soon as he came I can there's always this guy I remember we called him we didn't know his name he was pint of murphy's and two packets of pistachios and that was <laughs> you know that's as posh as we got was pistachio nuts but he was he was just this guy and as soon as we walked in as soon as he walked in that's what he used to do it's much I always think of cheers it, it was like cheers the English version of it and I've got to be completely honest if I ever hear that theme tune it always brings a bit of a tear to my eye <laughs> if I ever need a bit of a cathartic cry I stick on the theme tune from cheers I think the thing is though I think with each passing generation that concept of a pub probably waters down each generation Wow, well, that—that's how I feel and see it because I don't feel certain generations are looking for that kind of feel anymore. Like you say, going into the local, getting to know them. It's interesting you say that because my my niece, um, she works in a pub. I mean, she's doing it to fund, um, help 
fund her accommodation at university. She's um, studying at the moment, but she works in a local village pub, which is a whole other entity, I guess. Um, she absolutely loves it. And she loves it for the same reason that I loved it. And I'm so proud, even though she's doing product design at Loughborough University and she's probably going to fly high and do wonderful things. I am so, so proud that she really loves and really sees the benefit of being an integral part of a community pub. It's just, yeah, it fills me with joy and it gives us something to talk about as well. Uh, no, that's true. Like you say, there's definitely a common bond there between mm. aunt and niece, isn't there? I've almost finished my beer. Even though we've all been talking, <laughs> it's still got, bloody evaporated. I've got, yeah. I've got a good, well, it depends how big my mouth's feeling, but I've got a good few mouthfuls left. Well, I can't, maybe it has evaporated. I can't speak anymore. I've got a good few mouthfuls left. Well, I've, I mean, I've just finished mine. Seriously, I think, Danny, you said it was dangerously drinkable at 7%. And yes, this, do you know what? I'm really pleased with that because when I get excited about a beer, there's always the fear of disappointment, and we all have that, don't we? Mm. You know, but yeah, that, that's delish. And I have sat on this for two weeks knowing that we were going to record this, so I'm so pleased because this yeah. would have disappeared the day it arrived. Otherwise, you, you've done very well. Thank you to hanging on to, to it for us. And now, this because this is um, from one of the Thornbridge Beer Club boxes um it's one of the exclusives that that's only available to to, to people that subscribe to, to to that box um which is part of what they've been doing with, with that whole subscription service they've been bringing back some real classics um i mean the first one they brought back was the wild raven which was the black ipa then there was um chiron which I, again, and was another beer that I haven't seen for years. Um, it was great to see that. Now you've got Bear State that, that, that's come back. And I think later on this year, they're also bringing back, is it Valraven, which is the double black IPA as, as well. And those are all of the exclusive ones that the only way you're going to get them is, is, is by subscribing to that box. So it's, it's quite clever what they've done, isn't it? I really appreciate it, actually. I think, I think it's, it's, I didn't think I would go for a subscription box from a single brewery. I thought I would, because I subscribed to Beer 52 for quite a while and then stopped. Um, and that's all I'll say about that. But I thought I'd rather have a variety one where they do get, where you do get a taste from different breweries from all over the country or all over the world. But I thought I'd give this one a go. And I'm not going to lie, I'm very impressed. I mean, I was just going to say, I had the birthday one bought for me, and it was when it was, I think, we had the big beer, big brewery club in it. Oh. But generally, um, from the stuff I see and the people I follow talk about it, yeah, every now and again, there's a beer which people aren't too fussed about, but I think you're going to get that in any subscription box. Um, I think the exclusives are a very, very cute way of working. Um, so I, it looks like very good value. And have they brought the price down? Yeah, but Can I read that right. It, yeah, yeah. The, the, well, they haven't brought the price down for, with the same amount of quality of beer. The, the, the. I think the number and um, the number of the exclusives is going down as well. But yeah, it's gone down by a tenner, which, to be honest, is great for me because I was considering the sustainability of it for me. Um, but I'm going to see how it. This month is the first thirty quid box. I think that's going to arrive. So I'm going to see how it goes from then. Um, 
But I mean, fair play to them because they've listened to the customers. The customers were saying, you know, things are changing now. I'm going to be drinking out more. So I can't necessarily afford to buy in more. So I can't really afford it. And instead of just carrying on regardless, like many would do, they said, all right, then we'll reduce our prices. We'll reduce the beers in it. We'll still provide the same quality, hopefully. Um, that remains to be seen, but I trust them. Um, and we'll take it from there. So I really, really appreciate that from Thornbridge that they've taken the time to listen to people. Yeah, I, I, I have to agree. I think I think it's a very shrewd move on on their part. I I, I also suspect that that maybe there's an element there as well in in terms of their production because a, a, a lot more of their beers now they need to go out into um, the pubs and to bars and they don't want to be small packing as, as as much as they were uh, over the last 18 months so um I, I, I do think it's a very good move and that the, the price point is is very good and I, I think i've said since since the beginning um that i think it's probably one of the best value subscriptions out there in in terms of what you've been getting for, for your money um I, I will say that the last two months i haven't taken the boxes because i've not been that impressed with the selection of beers that that, that were in them but luckily as as a member you're, you're still able to access certainly the exclusives you can still buy them on their own which is how we come to be in possession of uh, and, and enjoying bear state this evening um and also you do get first dibs on when when the other beers go on sale which is how we also come to be in possession of the next beer that we'll be drinking this evening as as, as well. Um, but no, I, I think much like yourself, Danny, I was always quite sceptical about doing a single brewery subscription box because I'm like, is there going to be enough variety in, in there? And I think Thornbridge have proved that actually they are churning out an incredible, incredible amount of new beers uh, over the last few months and going forward, it would seem. Were you like me? Really surprised they produced a hard seltzer. I did not expect that from Thornbridge. Of, of all the breweries that I thought would have produced one, Thornbridge would have been at, right at the bottom of the list. Yeah. Actually, on, on, on that one. Um, have, have you tried it? Yeah. Yeah, I've had it. I've had all three of the passion fruit ones. Um, oddly, the sour was my favourite. Um, the, yeah, it's a hard seltzer. I mean, the, the positive I could. It's not my bag. The positive I can say about it is that it wasn't too sweet because I hate really sickly sweet things. Um, it was. I remember back in the day when the Alcopops first came out, there was one called Decoder, which I don't know if anybody else remembers at all, but it was like this kind of. Um, it looked like lemonade, like clear, crystal clear lemonade. It was. Um, slightly sweet slightly fruity but not too much fizzy very easy to drink probably about the same percentage point about five percent um it was basically designed to get students drunk and that's what this felt like and it felt like a bit of a attempt at a crowd pleaser and i love thornbridge and thought that that is it wrong to say that was beneath them do i sound really snobby it just it just didn't seem right no it, I, felt, it felt out of place yeah, 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 and, and I think if you want to put that into context, um, and and I think what what it, it's it's where they that they show that as a brewery they can walk a a very strong line between pleasing their traditional drinkers and also pleasing the new 
craft drinkers as well because could you imagine them trying to sell a hard seltzer to regulars in their pubs in Sheffield? <laughs> I, 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 I cannot imagine that that would sell particularly well. But no. you put it into a subscription box, you put it in small pack and you put it online and it's going to appeal to a different audience. And, and, and I think that's what that's what they are beginning to do very, very well as a, as, as, as a, as a brewery is they're recognising that we have these two markets and we need to be able to cater for them both. I think you're right, but I don't get, I really, really don't get where the hard seltzer market and the beer market overlap. I mean, to me, it's like doing beer and wine or it's a completely different drink. And I, I don't see how they go hand in hand. No, I, I don't understand how... Firstly, we're even discussing hard seltzer. Um, but <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't understand how that even fits into the beer market. No, it, it, exactly. You've got a beer subscription box and you've got an Alcapop in it. Yeah, well, I, from, from the couple that I've tried, they're, they're no more than alcoholic fizzy water. Yeah, exactly. It's and that's what they're designed to be. They they are pitched at a different crowd. So I'd agree with what you said, Danny. They're not they're not for us and for people who listen to the show and people who follow us on Twitter. Generally, there may be a curiosity level. Oh, I've seen all this, so I'll try it. But most won't be going out for it because I remember someone posting something on LinkedIn about it. So and I did challenge them about it, saying, "Oh God, you do okay. LinkedIn as well? That must be exhausting." Uh, that's for it's uh, the work side of me. Um, ah, okay. But the um, I challenged it because look, this was all done twenty years ago. This isn't anything different to an alcohol. There's no different to WKD, mm-hmm. Bacardi Breezers, Hooch. If we go for one of the original ones, Decoder. Um, Do you know? I want to know from this podcast when people listen to it if anybody else remembers Decoder. <laughs> <laughs> it was in a white bottle and it had a label that was like a uh, what's that label of thing called that punch do you remember those yeah, yeah. Sort of strip labeler that you used to on a dial that you'd punch the yeah it had a label like that 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 danny you, you'll be you'll be surprised because on, on 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 the last show we spoke about um the beer spa concept and i would have put money on nobody ever coming back to us and saying that they'd been to one. But as you're going to find later on, one of our listeners has come back and has actually been to a beer spa. So it, it would not surprise me if we get a couple of people come back and say, I remember Dakota. That would be amazing. And also with regards to the beer spa, if they have a refer a friend discount, <laughs> I'd be willing to take them up on that. <laughs> but I, I think just, just, to, to end this conversation about hard seltzer and to never have it again on a beer podcast. How did we get onto it? Yes, anyway. you, you mentioned it. That's, that's how we got onto it. <laughs> so it's again on the banned list of words that you've just ignored. <laughs> um, but basically, I, I'm still struggling to see why we're having the conversations about it in, 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 in the beer community, because it's not beer. I agree. Why are we? Yeah, why are breweries focusing on producing this stuff when that they could be producing better beer or more beer. Exactly. Exactly. I completely agree. They could try and, uh, yeah, reinvent the New England IPA, please. Um, <laughs> well, as, a, as, a, as a West Coast. Yeah, yeah that's that would what be we preferable. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I completely agree. I have no idea what place it has anywhere. No, well, it's, it's certainly not something that we're ever going to discuss on, on, on the show. I, I remember we did do, we, we, we did a poll about it. I think it was about a year, maybe 80 months ago when they first started making an appearance. And um, I, th- I think one of the responses we had was, it's not beer, why are you even talking about it? And it was okay. like, oh, okay. that, that response may come up again then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because <laughs> people have just had to listen to I apologise sincerely yeah. to everybody. It was actually a conversation about subscriptions <laughs> and not about hard seltzer. <laughs> well, let's, let's, swing it, let's swing it back round to beer. Uh, and let's. and, and let's, let's move on to our second beer this evening, which is again um, from Thornbridge. This is uh, Secret Weld. It is a collab with St. Mars of the Desert, and it is a 10% quadruple i am really looking forward to this beer and as, as as danny mentioned earlier about having to stay away from the bear state in 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 the fridge i've had to hide this one at the back of the cupboard to stop me from drinking it because i am very very excited about it so you hid it from yourself yes basically so i'd, I'd know it was there wouldn't i i completely get that it works hiding from hiding things from yourself even though your intelligent brain knows that it's there you can you can pretend. Yeah, if you can't see it, then it's not there. It's not there. Yeah. This is um first thing that strikes me about this, it's very uh ruby. And it's actually would, quite cloudy. I would normally expect a quad to be a little bit darker, maybe. I, I, I would agree. I think if we look at each other's beers on the screen, it actually looks the colour I expect it to be. A lot darker towards the brown sort of colour. You hold it up to natural light, and it does get yeah, lighter. It looks much darker. That, yeah, totally. Yeah. It looks much, much darker. Mm. So, um, I mean, that it, but I have to be, I had a bit of a whiff of the aroma and it's drawing me in. So, cheers. 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 I think Danny's described it quite well there. Yeah. yeah that's, there's, there's not much else to say really about that. I mean, the aroma. It's all it's it's raisins and fruitcake and yeah a li- little bit of Belgiany on on that nose. But it's a really it's a really faint on the Belgian side. I mean, it's the it's probably the perfect beer for these two to do together, isn't it? Yes, yeah. We've but it's the way Mars it coats the your mouth. The mouthfeel yeah. of it's incredible. It's so oily, but oh gosh, it's very. But it is with all the stuff that you described on the nose and the oil, it's still very clean as well. Mm. Which I think is a very much a Formbridge trait, having very clean beers, very you know yeah. sharp in that respect. And then you've got some of the beers that we've had from St. Mars of the Desert, and other people have had from St. Mars of the Desert. The fact that they've gone for a quad, and I don't think we've actually met. I think did we say ten percent? Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, well, we might have done, but yeah, ten percent. Ten percent. It's it's a very light ten percent because if I think. For me, my quad benchmark is probably a Straff Hendrick. Okay. That's probably my quad benchmark. Mm. The, the sort of one I'd go to if I see it on a menu and it's that time of the evening, I go, oh, I'll have one of those. That's a bit darker, a bit thicker. This one is, and I think Straff Hendrick doesn't really hide its ABV. This one feels like it could be less than 10%. Mm. Well, I'm going to be really interested to see how this develops as it warms because I've, I don't know about you guys, but I've just got mine out of the fridge. Oh, we, um, we, I think we took ours out just before we um, started recording, Danny. So, okay, so you're, you're probably having places, quite a yeah. different experience. Yeah. I mean, it is um, still quite 
chilled at the moment. It's not cold, um, but you can tell that the characteristics on that are going to change as, as, as it warms and you are going to start getting some, some different flavours coming through on, on that. As we're having a bit of a Thornbridge evening, this is another one of those. I think I said to you, Steve, with the mind games, the um, their gin barrel aged mm. um, beer, as soon as I tried that, I got straight online and ordered five more, which are still in my wardrobe, um, cellaring away nicely. And this is very much like that. I may, after we finish recording this, particularly after we finish recording this, because my... Um, my guard will be down and my debit card will be to hand. I may well get online and order quite a few more to put away because this is really, this is this is the kind of beer I would look forward to having on Christmas Day. Mm, yeah, it's definitely a, a kind of wintry beer, is, mm. is, isn't it? It's a 12 beer Although Christmas it's beer. Working, it's, it is working chilled on this, it's quite muggy here, I don't know about you, mm. um, but it is working chilled as well. I'm not going to guzzle that because I want to know what it's like when it warms. I, th- I think it's quite interesting. You mentioned the mind games there. That was the one that they did with Firestone Walker, wasn't it? Mm. The, um, it'd been, been aged in gin barrels. I, I think this whole range of these kind of bottled releases that they've been doing, um, again, most of which have been appearing in the in the beer club, but they have also been available to, to, to buy online. It's been quite interesting to see where they're going with some of the, the the styles. I mean, that, again, the Mind Games was a real surprise in terms of the style. And I, I probably approached it maybe the same as, as, as you did, was mm, is, I'm not sure that's going to be for me. And I absolutely loved it. I mean, that's Mind Games is actually down there as one of my contenders for Beer of the Year or, yeah. already because it was so good. And I, th- I think what they did with that perfectly was it had all of the characteristics of a gin and tonic in it as well but it was beer and- <laughs> <laughs> you're absolutely right and then i mean i don't know i think you 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 do enjoy, enjoy gin and tonic as well don't you yeah um and i think for for those of us who do enjoy both it was perfect it but i would never have thought of putting those things together ever i mean if i see a bourbon average a bourbon aged beer or a whiskey aged beer or a, a brandy aged beer or something like that I get excited but a gin barrel aged beer particularly you're the same as me with regards to anything remotely sour mm-hmm. um you kind of steer away from it although I think my taste buds have changed over lockdown at the age of 44 I can say that I will now choose to buy a sour and spend money on it and expect to, to enjoy it. But that one was incredible. This is quite a bold statement. There, and there's, a, there's a revelation for the show. <laughs> it I was, I mean, you, yeah. I do agree with both of you about that mind game. So I thought that was a, a fantastic example of what a brewery can do that might challenge people and might make them think twice about what their the normal output will be. And mm. it did. It did. It definitely had all the characteristics of a gin and tonic. Um, but yeah, it was still unmistakably a beer. It was actually quite confusing, mm. a beer to drink because it did tick so many different boxes. But I think I've got an, at least one more still hanging around. Um, so I'm looking forward to see what how that develops. Yeah. If it, I'm not sure if it's one which I should age for too long because gin and tonic always feels like it's supposed to be a really fresh drink. Um, That's a good point, actually. That's interesting. I wonder how it will age. I've just yeah. automatically thought, oh, I'll save that. But... I hadn't considered that aspect of it. 
and no, the other I mean, I'm just guessing there's that there's that question of well that they've released it so therefore the brewer believes it's ready to be drunk now so maybe you should drink it now oh stop it just because <laughs> the thing is after this 10 percent i'll go all right steve said and drink it tonight and it's monday <laughs> but on the upside you will be stepping down from 10 to eight and a half so oh, yay. <laughs> every cloud <laughs> Every time. I, do, I do like to think that maybe somewhere a Thornbridge have squirreled some of this away in some barrels as well. Oh my a, God, I hope a so. A barrel-aged version of this would be simply stunning. I mean, it's, a, it's an incredible beer as, as, as it is, but put that in a barrel for a while and let it pick up some of the characteristics of... I, I'd probably go straight for maybe a bourbon barrel ver- version of this. Pick up some of those toffee, vanilla characteristics. Oh, Could you rum. imagine? Yeah. Rum or rum. sherry as well. Yeah. I can get the rum. I can get the. I could definitely get the rum feel for this one. I'm getting very get excited. Rum, rum and raisin, isn't it then? But while we continue uh, to enjoy this, we should probably um, get on to discussing this week's question. Opinions, 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 opinions. How do you think the general public views a job in hospitality? So we had 372 votes on this. 6.2% of people said they look at it as a career 84.1% 84.1% just as a stopgap and 9.7% as other. I know you had a comment on this one, um, which did, and I'll, I'll read it to you so you're aware of what you said. Uh, it's your ultimate bugbear. It's definitely a stopgap, but that's so wrong. And there is a host of reasons why from both sides of the bar, pay, respect, history, and most all education. I could discuss this for hours. The floor is yours. <laughs> Buckle up, chaps. Okay, for example, my niece, as I mentioned earlier, is currently, as she's just broken up from university, working in a pub that she loves. She loves the job. She waxes lyrical about it. She works 40 hours a week and thinks nothing of it. She absolutely adores it. She's managed to save quite a lot of money doing it, but still sees it as a stopgap, even though it's a job that she absolutely loves. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that she should stop university and do that as a career. But there's something about a job that you enjoy that um, that she finds that comes naturally to her. It's almost like there's a guilt thing there that, you know, you, you need to work to do something that makes you sweat, to do something that challenges you um, in something that you're not comfortable with to... Uh, so I, to do an aspirational career that's considered to be an aspirational career which is why she's doing product design you know she's been um taken through her options by her careers advisors and things like that now if she'd have said to them i want to work in a pub they would have laughed at her they would have thought she was joking they would have thought she was just basically being ridiculous and that really really winds me up Um, I remember when I was at school, if I'd have ever said that I wanted to work in a pub, that wouldn't have been seen as a valid career choice. It's, you know, it's it's barrister, it's lawyer, it's policeman, it's nurse. And I was thinking about this after you ran the poll and why the, why a a career, because I do think it should be a valid career in the pub trade isn't seen as 
um, viable or respectable, I suppose, is the main thing, is that there is, it's never given as an option or a, a valid choice when kids are at school. And also, you think about what's considered to be an aspirational career. Now, as I was saying about, you know, you've got your barristers, you've got your lawyers. An aspirational career is considered to be something that probably helps people or earns a lot of money or changes the world or strives to change the world. Now, that's not always necessarily a high earning career. I mean, look at nurses, look at policemen. They don't earn a huge amount, um, but they are working ridiculous hours. And what they are trying to do is help people, help society become better, help people become healthier. Even charity workers, they earn a pittance, but they are um, doing stuff for the greater good. And I think that people who work in pubs aren't considered in that way, although I believe they should be. They are therapists. They are sounding boards. They are a place, they are... um, confidence they provide a place of safety for people to go to i remember when i was having okay it's no particular secret to people on twitter that um my mum's quite poorly and i've been looking after her and i remember one time she was in hospital it got quite dicey um and i had to leave her in hospital having an operation and i didn't know where to go i could have gone home and just gone in the bath and sort of just gone waited for a phone call but instead i actually went to the pub and talked to a barmaid who I knew there, who was just a, a wonderful, wonderful person. She gave me a pint. I had a bit of a chaser. And it was it made me feel so much better. And that was of huge value to me. Massive. And there are people like that that go into pubs every single day. And those people behind the bar, who a lot of people consider to be just a barmaid or just a bar person or just a they they just manage a pub there's no just about it it's a it's a valid career it provides value to people's lives it enhances people's lives also with regards to history it's um the women who work in pubs were considered to be um almost akin to slaves in the victorian period because they were made to work such long hours and because they were tired and spent so much time on their feet they it was presumed that they would that they would be driven to drink and um, this is in the times of prohibition and temperance and all that kind of thing um so they were considered to be um drunken people who may even uh, al- always akin to prostitutes as well if you work in a pub you may um go over to the dark side and go over to prostitution as well so that perception has been passed down the generations. Now, I'm not suggesting that anybody consciously thinks that anymore, but that's that's how bar uh, bar workers were considered, and nothing has happened to rectify that, to um, make people have a huge respect for them. Now, another thing is that if you think about it, when you... Sorry, I'm going on an awful lot, but it really does wind me up. Um, if you think about it, if you are working in any other job, So if you are a a structural engineer, if you are an electrician, if you are a barrister, if you are a security guard, if you dig up roads for a living, whatever, you um, 
you spend your day working and then to release the day's pressure or to relax, you go to the pub where somebody pours you a beer and looks after you, which psychologically almost makes the people that are doing that, the people that work behind the bar, the people that run the pubs, the people that are serving you after you've spent the day serving everybody else. And psychologically, that makes people think less of them. Now, they may not admit to that. They may not even, um, when they think about it, they may not even be able to rationalise that. But psychologically, that is what happens. So you are going from serving somebody all day to somebody that serves you, which puts puts people who work behind the bar at the bottom of the pile. And it shouldn't. It absolutely shouldn't. Because if you don't have decent staff working at your pub, if you don't have people that are worthy of your respect, of people who respect you, of people that are good at their jobs and knowledgeable about the beer, the wine, whatever they're doing, that keep the environment clean and the environment safe, you are not going to get that place where you can go for your therapy or your downtime. And it's not about getting drunk. And this is the other reason why it's looked down upon, because People see pubs as people getting drunk, people getting rowdy. Yes, that can be an aspect of it, but it's just a place for people to go. And going back to what we were talking about earlier earlier in the podcast, it's about that leveller. And the people that are capable of creating that wonderful atmosphere where people from all walks of life feel safe, deserve the recognition, they deserve the pay, and they deserve our respect. Sorry. Oh, shut up. I apologise. I mean, I, I finished my beer. But... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Coming next time on Opinions. <laughs> I mean, that was a very um, impassioned um, view. I mean, I think um, I'm going to save mine until after we've read out the listeners' comments, and then we, I think we can dig into what Danny was saying as well, Steve. Yeah, and, and to be honest with you, um, knowing what's coming up with some of these comments, I, Danny has covered quite a lot of what's going to come up now in in terms of what a lot of people were saying as well so I, I don't think I don't think you're alone in in your views there Danny I think I, I think they're views that are shared certainly by uh the, the people that engage with us on Twitter the listeners to the show that, that they do have a, a similar sort of outlook on this as you do got to admit I'm sweating a bit now right well you you sip on the um, on the quad and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll take it, we'll do a little bit of legwork and then we'll come back to you, Danny. So first up from Jamie at Merchants of Shite. Voted stopgap because it's what I imagine what most people think. And it's what I thought too. Until I had a good couple of chats with bar staff who were somewhat annoyed with me, assuming they were students, training, doing something else. From Sherry Jones at Sejon, I voted stopgap for many of the reasons that others have said. After spending 14 years working for the pub that shall not be named, seven of those as a senior shift manager, no one outside of the industry itself view it as anything other than that or not a proper job. From your boy Rob Edwards, at Rob underscore Edwards 90, speaking very generally, I think a majority of the general public see working in hospitality as a stopgap. This is wrong, and it contributes to the UK not being quite as good at hospitality as some other countries. Belgium, for example, in my experience. Very similar com- comment from Martin Griffin at Martin the Monkey. From John Moore at The Beer Idiot, voted stopgap. 
on a wider scale. There's no respect for hospitality or retail jobs, even though they are, are essential and skilled work. I think it's mostly cultural and it 100% needs to change. From James Pegler at JM Pegler, having to deal with lots of people, myself included, six plus pints deep, I'd vote for heroes. And then from Shane Pollard at Shane Pollard, I think there's an element of how the staff control a venue. Customers appreciate and respect the whole team. It doesn't happen often and think it comes from the top down, i.e. the owners and the management. Dr. Goggles at Dr. Underscore Goggles. Other. I don't think the general public think about it much, but the way some people treat waiting and bar staff is disgraceful, like servants a lot of the time. And from Twinney at Emma W Twinney, my first 10 years of work was all in hospitality. It was a love-hate relationship. Love the job and all the people you meet, but the hours and the pay make you move on and look for a better work-life balance. From Mike McGuire at McGuire Mike, it's a very personable profession, profession, so I voted career. You need people to make a career of it, i.e. butlers, chefs, publicans. With pubs and bars, the general population probably see it as a stopgap. And that shows with the current lack of seasoned professionals in the roles. From Simon Clark at Simon Carbon, I voted stopgap, but I wish it wasn't the case. Most hospitality vacancies I saw advertised recently locally were pretty much minimum wage. And you can't really build a career with an employer paying the least that they can legally pay someone. From Cask Theology at Cask Theology, I just don't have the space on here to sum up working 20 plus years of it. But I voted stopgap because there's people who can do it and the people who can't, which leads to high turnover and alters the outside perception of the job. And then from Ad Adam G. Manning, I fell into hospitality. I simply found out I enjoyed it and there was a lot to learn and I liked looking after people. After that, I simply decided to be good. I don't think hospitality should be put on a pedestal above STEM, for example, but children are not even told about it. Cookery classes are bullshit DOS classes based in the arts department, not science. Maths doesn't teach you how to run accounts. Hospitality is Britain's dirty little secret. The government is happy to say thanks for all the VAT to an entire industry held together by a few people's masochistic desire to make other people happy. I think that's quite a, a telling statement to finish with, um, isn't it? Uh, definitely. Um, and there was... Uh, I think, that, I mean, obviously a lot of the people which we interact with both on Twitter and listeners of the show are going to have a, a very personal view about pubs and, and hospitality staff. But one thought which occurred to me all the way through what Danny was saying and all these comments, do you think people look at it differently? And there's a couple of things. One is your city centre or town centre pubs where people run it and work in there versus your local pubs where you've got a landlord and or a landlady who own it, run it, live in it and experience it. And then do people then still look at the people who just, I say just, who work there but don't have a financial interest in the place? Do they then look at them as the ones who are going, oh, well, you must want to do something else, but you're just in the pub anyway. So is there a few different layers to how people view if we're talking, not talking about hospitality, but pubs in general, I think I would probably think about people who work in pubs in city centres. A lot of people may well be doing it as a means to an end or a stopgap. Whereas we know that Rich at the Vic doesn't own the Vic, but he loves it as if he did. 
Mm. And he loves the pub and the people and being able to, as Danny said, deliver that pint of beer exactly as it's supposed to be, as an example. So I think there's probably varying levels of it. So I don't know what you, what you two think about that. I think, going back to what I was saying about it being, it's all, kids are brought up to strive for an aspirational career. Um, and this is something that I thought about because I don't know anybody when I was a kid or I don't know any teenagers who aspire to work in a pub or even run a pub you know, even be a, or own a pub or be a landlord. But there are an awful lot of people in the corporate world who are very, very successful and people in the acting world, which is the, the world, I mean, now for people who don't know, I'm a, a sort of actor and scriptwriter. Um, there's an awful lot of older actors who aspire to owning and running a pub. So it's almost like the aspiration to do it comes after you've become successful in something else. But I also think that the people who aspire to that don't understand the hard work that's involved with doing it. So it's almost seen as a retirement prospect, not as something that you would come at at the bottom level and build up to, which I can't think of any other profession that has something like that I find it utterly bizarre and it, it also what creates a sort of something to aspire to is something that you have to be qualified for now yes there's a Cicerone program and I've just done the beer with Nat thing which beer with Nat run she runs a fantastic course um but if there was a course at school or a b-tech or something like that I know there's general hospitality and catering but actually in bar service and um uh how to look after beer and things like that if there was if you had to be qualified in it before you were allowed to work behind the bar I think that the profession would gain an awful lot more respect but I don't know how that is financially viable because we all know that it's difficult to make a living running a pub so if your staff, if your everyday staff had to have a, a qualification that could be expensive in itself and then you'd have to pay them accordingly and with the way that um, not necessarily uh, free houses but the way that managed and tenants ha tenanted houses work, how would that be financially viable for everybody? Because the only way you're going to get people wanting to work there and wanting to get that qualification that I think should be in place to want to gain that and work in a pub long term is for it to be able to buy them a house or at least a car or something but it's impossible like you were saying most of them are minimum wage like Simon's Simon Carbon his comment it's it's a very difficult circle to square Definitely. I mean, if say if we go back to our let's take that careers advice angle that you were talking about, and let's go with the the male side of it for working in hospitality or to liken it to say me and Steve are fifteen talking to the career advisor at school and said we wanted to do an apprenticeship as a motor mechanic, we'd probably be encouraged. You know, do you like messing around with cars? Has that sort of thing maybe your dad, granddad, or uncle got you into? And then someone would say, well, yeah, you can do this. 
five days working in the garage, one day at college. No one would, I, it would be unlikely that someone would try to put you off. Whereas if you'd said, or I'd said, in my case, actually, lived above an off license for the last 10 years, I think I could do that. I don't think I would get the same encouragement for that. And I imagine if I'd said, I want to work in a pub to build up to running one, you'd get even less encouragement. So, yes, you're right. Despite the fact, well, you know, what was the figures being quoted? Is it three million people who work in hospitality in the UK or did work in hospitality in the UK? There's a hell of a lot of people who work in something which apparently none of them want to do. And, and when you also think of what that industry contributes to the economy, so outside of maybe like the high street and retail, it, it's probably contributing more to the economy than than any other industry but yet it's not seen as a viable career option by many. until until as danny said we get to a certain point we go oh actually yeah i wouldn't mind running or owning and running a place i.e having enough money to have the nice pub maybe with the accommodation but someone else actually does what danny did when she was 20 yeah, you, you own right. it and you get someone to run it for you. Yeah. So that's when it becomes aspirational. Up until that point, it probably isn't. But how much of it do you guys think that it's to do with alcohol? Because we're talking about the pub as a, well, I've been talking about the pub as a sort of place of safety to go, a place of um, escape. Um, and yeah, we all we all enjoy a beer but some people will go there and have a, a lemonade or a slimline tonic water or something and just sit there at the bar and just take a breather away from their home life whatever's going on with them but people's perception is the pub is where people go to get pissed now how much do you think that the the fact that it's not a considered to be an aspirational career or something like that is the fact that it's facilitating people getting drunk and also would presume that you enjoy far too much to drink and it's an unhealthy career well well, schools certainly aren't going to promote that to their students are they because it's not seen as the right thing to do so so, so, so yes now I, I think you mentioned you know there's there's now an option in there in terms of hospitality and catering in schools but i would i would guarantee that most of that would be towards a career in the hotel industry or running a restaurant the food side of things rather than it being geared towards sellermanship and running a bar and understanding alcohol and, and, and all the rest of it I, I i simply don't think schools are in a position to be able to promote it almost as as, 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 as an option so where has this is it the media is it fact that this notion that people that go to the pub will drink in absolute excess to the detriment of their health to the detriment of society to the detriment of um their families you know where are the people that go there just to have a couple of drinks and have a nice time whether they be alcoholic whether they be soft or anything like that where has this um 
idea come from that it's all about excess and um, that it's detrimental to society? Because that's another thing that I think that a lot of it's got to do with and why, like you were saying, the schools would never promote it. You know, don't don't go into anywhere with don't go into a career that's anything to do with alcohol. Well, it's it's, it's one hundred percent the media, isn't it? It's yeah, it, it, yeah. And that's before social media. That was newspapers <laughs> as well. Newspapers, when they talk about anything to do with um, the on trade, they always show a pint. Yeah, it's a pint being poured, and apparently, you can only get voted into an MP if at some point you've poured a pint, no matter how badly you've poured that pint. Apparently that shows that you are, you know, close to the working class by pouring that pint, which quite clearly you don't want to have and you've got no idea how it should look. But that's it. They never showed them doing anything else. It's never a spirit from the optics. It's never a glass of wine, anything like that. It's always about putting a traditional pint. Uh, they will always show that. And then the story will move on to how many people have been out pissed in a city centre that night. Guarantee you, they haven't been getting pissed on cast beer, for starters. And my experience of local pubs is that they're fairly self-regulating. Um, if you are out of order, the regulars will usually put you in your place. If not the first time, definitely the second time. It is, again, those city centre type of places. And I definitely think it's the alcohol. We're, the, the UK, considering we never went down a prohibition route, like the US, we have a really weird relationship with alcohol and not wanting to talk about it. Like I said, maybe I missed some of those aspects because I lived above an off-license from the age of seven. So alcohol was what was there all the time. I was stacking shelves. In those days, no one questioned it. If you sold, if you were doing the till at the time, if mum and dad were at the back, it didn't matter. Um, so maybe I missed some of it, but I do know that there are definitely people, even when I used to take Michael to beer festivals as a kid, oh, you're taking Michael to a beer festival. Like, I was suddenly going to shove pints of beer at him. Anyone who knows my son, there'd be no point in shoving pints of beer at him. I mean, you know, he's barely drunk a pint in his whole life in, altogether. But that wasn't the point. I just wanted him to see that it was about a lot of other things, not just the alcohol and the end result of what might happen, rather than wait until he might get to 18, being secluded from it, and then just going hell for lever on his own with mm. no guidance. So that was always my, um, my, my mindset and my fault. But we're not like, I don't know, certain countries like the French, where wine is an integral part of the meal for the family. And the, 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 the youngsters, the youths, teenagers, will have a glass of wine with dinner. So, yeah, I think we have a very strange relationship with alcohol in the UK. And people have a very, that perception of us. We had a beer tasting at work where we invite, because we were doing it by Zoom, we managed to source the beers in Amsterdam as well as in the UK. Some of our Dutch colleagues joined us and a few of them had been over to the UK. And their perception was crystal clear that we just simply drank to get drunk. And that's what that's the perception they had, and that's a perception which we have. I think a lot of people have over here as well. I think you're absolutely right that it's down to the media. Uh, you're you're absolutely right. Um, and going back to what we were talking about, um, we had a bit of a natter pre-recording about the football. You know, all the every single um, photograph on the front of certain red tops after 
major football matches is people getting absolutely leathered and the streets full of drunk people taking their shirts off and lying around in the gutters with their plastic glasses full of cheap lager. Whereas I, I guess that, well, I know us three and the majority of the listeners of this podcast um, wouldn't, they appreciate um, the drink rather than want to get as much of it down them as possible and don't care what it tastes like. Yeah, and not just that. The media could have found people at those fan, fan zones who weren't as pissed as that. Yeah, absolutely. But those people absolutely. were still there. Guaranteed those people were still there. They could have found those people and spoken to them or showed them. But that, of, for whatever reason, isn't the, isn't the picture they want to show. But then equally, the same Red Talks will say that, um, you know, Britain has a drink problem at some point in the future as well. So mm-hmm. it, it's just whatever suits them at the time. And yeah, all of those, all of those fan zones, all of those places that have marquees up, they could easily have found as many people who weren't as pissed to talk to. But it doesn't it doesn't serve the agenda. Yeah, and I think it's it's those sorts of images and that sort of attitude towards it that that, that does make it very difficult for it to seem like a, a viable career option. That does doesn't it? You, you, you know, like you say, it's almost like they're portraying you as a pimp. It, it really is, because you, you are facilitating this behaviour, whereas those people that are being um, photographed or not photographed, just the people that we hear about, to be honest, they've probably gone and got a two-for-one 10-pack from your local supermarket, and it's got absolutely nothing to do with pubs and hospitality. Yeah, that's another good point as well. Pre, a bit of preloading as well Yeah, before you've even turned up. So, yeah, I think there's lots of factors. I mean, I think it's a shame that hospitality isn't looked at. So, yeah, I, I just think it's a really hard one because they do deserve better a lot of the time. They definitely deserve a lot more respect. And if there's one thing that's come out that I hope has come out of everything that's gone on over the last 15, 16 months is that people do appreciate them more. I'm not sure they will or the majority will, but hopefully a sizable minority will appreciate everything that hospitality does for us. I really hope so. The one thing I'm curious about um, as to whether it will change is the tipping culture because um, we know our friends over in America, people in hospitality essentially live off their tips. It's the majority of their wages. Now, Now we're coming out of lockdown and hopefully punters are appreciating the hospitality trade more because they've realized what they were missing over the last 18 months do we think they're going to be tipping more than we used to do you think we're going to be going over to the more uh, american model of that i think while we've been in this transitional period shall we say of table service and, and 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 the like it's it's probably more likely that people will tip because they're actually seeing the service they're that they're appreciating having their beer bought to them at the table i i think when we go back to bar service um i i i can't see it continuing widely other than those that maybe were doing it beforehand as 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 well because you, you know you've We've all been there. I've, you know, you spent an evening in a, in, in a pub, you've had a good time, you've been chatting to the staff and at the end of the evening you want to buy them all a drink. 
and so you know that was that was always there um but personally I've, I've certainly found myself tipping more because of the table service culture um because I am I think appreciating more what the staff are doing for me do you know the thing I was another thing I was thinking is that people see pubs as the building the building and the beer and the institution and they almost don't see the people behind the bar now it makes that that really makes me sad because people have uh, everybody's been very vocal about what they've missed during lockdown that they've missed going to the pub they've missed going um you know sitting at the bar meeting up with their friends having a beer or anything like that and they see it i mean we talk about it as an institution and they don't actually see the people so when they go back in they'll say to the people behind the bar oh my god i've missed this i can't wait for this point this is amazing it's never i've missed chatting to you i've missed what you do for me and it's seen as a whole rather than the individuals that make the whole um we always talk about pubs not who has served you at that particular point or the landlord or landlady or both it's that that I, I I find that quite a lot that people don't know who are serving them, who are making their experience a good one. They just mm. see it as their being in this building that's a wonderful building, and they're drinking beer and they're back and it's great. And I think that people need to be nudged into appreciating the people that are facilitating that. I, I think that's a wonderful point to finish on. To be honest, I think that's. There's nothing for me to add after that. No, and it's again, it's one of these uh, polls this week that there were loads of, of comments about, about this. Um, a lot, of, lot of them very similar to the ones that we've we've spoke out, and a lot of them sharing uh, a lot of the views that we've had while we've been discussing it as well. But as always, there'll be a link in the show notes to the question. You can click through and you can have a look at all the answers, and you can continue to get involved. Use the hashtag opinions, and you may very well find yourself in this next part of the show. Let us know. Write it down. Let us know. Write it down. Let us know your thoughts. And- Bitter in Linganess. Write it down. First up from Pete at Hops and Hoops. Glad the mystery of last week's outro music is solved now. Another good one, and well done for not skirting around the Brewdog issue. From Simon Dewhurst at Simon Sloth. Great show as always, guys. I've only come across the Belmer Hop before as part of a Buxton Brewery Lupulus series. Well worth checking out as they seem to get their hands on some of the next generation of hops, both in the UK and abroad. And from the aforementioned Richard Taylor. Great show, guys, and thanks for all the love for the Vic. On table service, I wonder how many people that voted love it, tip star for providing that service. I think you've discussed tipping before. On camera beer festivals, I wonder if our local branch will be in touch. From your boy, Rob Edwards, nearly two hours of my boys. That's what I like to hear. It does have to be said, Martin was like Moses parting the Red Sea at Port Street Beer House. On the Manchester Crimbo Crawl, cleared a nice space for me to get also get served very quickly. <laughs> From Amity Bruco, Amity Bruco, wonderful to be mentioned on this week's show uh, on Martin's Beery Adventures. Thanks for coming over. And from Can I Get a P, another classic Martin rant on people no-showing. People who no-show should have a word with themselves, but that would require them having the ability to look inward. 
From Sophie at So Beer Blogger, great show again this week. I've actually been to a beer spa in Prague with Witcher 77, and it was the best experience. There's nothing better than sitting in a beery jacuzzi sprinkled with hops and unlimited lager tapped to yourself and beer baked bread. Sounds so, wonderful. So now, this is what I said earlier. I would, I would absolutely have guaranteed that nobody would have ever fed back and said, I've been to a beer spa. Does that mean there was beer in the actual tub? That's what it sounds like. Basically, it sounds like the equivalent of Cleopatra, just without the acid's milk. Yeah. Replaced by beer. Or at least water with beer. Maybe it was a watered-down version. Sophie, let us know more, please. Yeah, please. (laughs) From Ian Hay at II Hay. Absolutely excellent episode as usual, but no guests this time, so extra Steve and Martin. A real treat. Dealt with difficult topics well. Also, I think the fact that you guys were not on Zoom gave it the edge. Very fresh. From Mike Hampshire and Mike Statram, thank you so much for sharing the news about the new craft at Beer Leeds Beer Tours. Much appreciated, guys. Just to confirm, public tours are still going ahead, just with reduced numbers. And we'll put a link in the show notes again to, to, to that if yeah. people do want to follow up on that one. Uh, from Paul at UNRCD, perfect length show for my commute home and back. Great chat and lovely to hear you in the same room, but gutted no dog noise. After your recent trips to Leeds, I really need to get back there. And then finally, from Graham Gilbert at Graham Gilbert, 20 minutes in and I'm desperate for a pint of cask Jaipur or a decent pint of cask anything, really. It's quite appropriate that um, Graham mentions that pint of cast jaipur isn't it danny seeing as we had one of the most wonderful pints of cast jaipur ever to, we together. had the the <laughs> pint of cast jaipur together it was yes that was incredible that was the most i i will never ever forget that weekend it was incredible and i will be forever grateful to you for it <laughs> it's, it's nice just to double down on that one with martin as, as well yeah. Sorry, martin. <laughs> i am so happy for you both after all the uh all, all the love that you were giving to cast jaipur on the last show mate it's the least <laughs> you deserve if i'm honest with you thank you very much <laughs> can i just say as this beer has warmed as i was curious about how it would go down as it um as it came up to room temperature, it's phenomenal. And I am going to try my damnedest to save my second bottle until Christmas because that's what it tastes like now. I'm getting a bit of cinnamon through it now as well. And it's just delicious. It, it has got a real winter Christmassy vibe about it to, to, to me. I think I think ours has probably warmed a, a, even further than that. And it, it is it's soft sweet it's it, it it's raisins there's a little bit of spicy fruit cake in there as well and it, it is just so delicious and i've had to really temper myself to drink it as slowly as i've been drinking it because i just want to drink drink it more because it's so tasty haven't got that much left. There's, there's, there's not a lot left in our glasses, is there? I think no. we, we should probably use this opportunity to say thank you uh, to Danny for coming on and, and, and joining us this week. It's been uh, an absolute pleasure listening to your your, your journey and, and and those early days of, of, of your life in beer and, and and how you've kind of stuck with it and found different communities through, throughout your time and it, it, it has been great to finally have you on enjoying a beer with us um it's it's been long overdue i think 
it's been a real, real pleasure. And I'm sorry if I waffled and went off on one, but that, that's what I tend to do. But that's where my passion lies and I get a bit wound up about various things. <laughs> it's, you know, I, I really appreciate counting you two as friends via Twitter. Who'd have thought 20 years ago that that would have been a thing? It's but mad, I can't wait it? for yeah. the day that we can all three of us meet up and Martin can finally enjoy a pint of Jaipur <laughs> with us. No, because you two will mention the other pint again. No, that's never, <laughs> never be as good. It would never be as good as that one. That's, that, that's, that's the problem. Um, so, so, yeah, just um, just carry on using the hashtag opinions, carry on getting involved in what we're doing. Martin, what's coming up on the next show? Well, apparently we've got uh, this amateur coming on. Uh, probably most people haven't heard of him, Mr. Matt Curtis. Um, he'll be talking to us about some stuff about beer, Pellicle, and the bit I'm most excited about, his new book, Modern British Beer. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that chat with Matt and hearing all about the new book. Um, it sounds very exciting, and hopefully we're going to be drinking a few of the beers from within the pages of the book, aren't we? Yeah, hopefully not all of the beers that I've mentioned. No, I think the there's 85 or something in there. Yeah, even for us, they, that could be a challenge on a Monday. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it'll be slightly less than that. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that next time. Uh, Danny, once again, thank you for, for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes to where people can find you, but I'm sure those of our listeners that already know you already follow you and, and already enjoy conversing with you on twitter um but it has been great and i've thoroughly enjoyed this final beer that we've enjoyed this evening so all that's left to say is cheers 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 sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name and they're always glad you came you want to be where you can see our troubles are all the same Everybody knows your name